that we just sang a very encouraging reminder uh, of the power of our God and the glory he is due. So uh, those of you who know me know I am I'm not particularly uh, like an issues preacher. I'm not the kind of person that's going to, you know, pontificate at, you know, people who aren't here. Uh, uh, but there are certain things, certain Important truths that I think the Bible teaches that are somewhat controversial. And uh, every now and again, I think it's important, and it's my job as a preacher, to teach on those kinds of things. And so this morning, I have elected to talk about baptism. Uh, As you may well know, uh, we hold the view that baptism is something that we do, uh, that God commands us to do for the forgiveness of sins, and uh, that that is a part of the process of salvation. And uh, this is kind of an unusual view in the world, but I believe that it is uh, the truth that the Bible teaches. And so uh, that's what we're going to be discussing this morning. But uh, I have elected to do this uh, in a little bit different format than I normally do. I decided I would uh, take Jacob's little Q&A model and uh, answer some questions and impart some information about baptism. Some of this will be Uh, I think, useful in your discussions with people. And some of it, I think, will just be sort of interesting and round out your view of baptism. So let's do baptism Q&A. First question is, what does the word baptize mean? Well, it's interesting. We, you know, we, in in this day and age, baptism or baptize is a word that has a very religious significance, uh, but it hasn't always been that way. Uh, the Greek word baptisto is versatile. It has a wide semantic range. It can be used for a lot of things, basically anything that involves water and uh, something that's probably pretty dangerous. So like if you sink a ship or uh, you drown the crew or you're drowning in debt or you flood a city with people uh, or even something as innocuous as like dunking a cup into a basin to get a drink of water. All those, uh, the word baptisto. Uh, But it has uh, a religious significance as well. And so you might be asking, uh, well, when did it become a religious thing? That's a great question. Uh, So one of the other ways that this word is used is kind of um, a little bit unusual. Uh, So uh, we, of course, you know, there is a a Greek version of uh, the Old Testament that uh, was written in the intertestamental period. We've been talking about that in John's class. And uh, in the Septuagint, The word baptisto is used a few times, and one of them is in uh, the apocryphal book of Sirach, uh, which is not important for you to know. However, what is important for you to know is that this book, written around eh, 200 uh, BC, uses the word baptisto uh, to say, uh, if you wash after touching a dead body, and then you go and touch that dead body again, what was the purpose of washing? Uh, And so... Uh, This word wash, uh, like we would see many other times in the Old Testament, uh, is used here for the word baptisto is used. What's curious about this is, as I said, it's not used very often in the Septuagint. Uh, It's just here uh, and a few other places like when Naaman uh, dips in the Jordan River. And what this reveals to us is something that we know from history is that around this time, uh, the Jews who had laws about ritual washings, where you had to you know, wash your hands or wash your clothes after touching various things, uh, they started to expand this. So in, uh, in the law, there were certain things that required you to bathe uh, like in a river, for example, uh, 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 abnormal 
I don't, I don't know how to say this, but anyway, um, when, when you have abnormal emissions, that would be one of the reasons you might need to, be, uh, to dunk yourself in, in some water. So uh, this had expanded a little bit to things like leprosy and other sorts of uh, uncleannesses, and also regularly, uh, about you know, three times a year, the, they would have to go up to Jerusalem. And before uh, the Jews would go for these high holy days, they would dunk themselves in like full big basins of water. And so this, this practice of uh, baptism was something that is not a new concept when John just walks onto the scene and he's baptizing people. However, the use of it before John is very different. Well, I wouldn't say very different, but somewhat different from the way that John is baptizing people. So, like I said, they, it was a ritual thing that you would do uh, regularly when you would go up to Jerusalem or when you would have some sort of uncleanness. There were also, uh, it was a regular thing that you would do even more often in the Qumran community, which is a you know, group of Essenes where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, they would do this when a proselyte uh, chose to you know, come from being a Gentile to a Jew. They would, uh, they would baptize them. And so there were all of these uses of baptism. But when John shows up, we get a different kind of baptism, which leads us to our next question. What is the baptism of John? That's why we're in Luke chapter 3. And so John chapter 3 tells us, uh, verse 2. Uh, sorry, not John. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3. Uh, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the regions around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the words of uh, Isaiah the prophet, and then we get this prophecy from Isaiah 40. Then it says in verse 7, He said therefore to the crowd, that came out to be baptized to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, baptism of John. John comes teaching a baptism, which, as I said, is somewhat based in what was already happening, that they were already baptizing people, dunking them underwater. However, something new happens here, and that is that John is having people be baptized uh, for repentance, for forgiveness of sins. It is a one-time thing, like when they would convert a proselyte, but this seems to be particularly for Jews. And so it is for uh, uncleanness of sorts. It is for putting a new life behind you, but it's different. Uh, And so it draws on some things from the old, but it is for something new. Now, what is it for specifically? As it says, this is the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, that this is a statement, uh, a a point in these Jews' lives where they were saying, okay, uh, I understand given that he's telling them about this wrath to come that they're, you know, fleeing from and uh, the fire that is awaiting them. He says, listen, there is something dangerous coming and you need to be prepared for that. And if you have sin in your life, it's not enough for you to just be a Jew. You know, God can raise up uh, children of Abraham from these stones. That's not enough. You need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And so John is teaching them 
that there is something coming, uh, a fiery judgment, and they need to be prepared for that and put away their old way of life and get forgiveness and uh, start something new, which is, uh, which is, is significant. And it also sounds kind of like well, what we do, but there's, there are significant differences, we'll see in a moment, between John's baptism and Jesus's baptism. So, John tells us that there is, not only is he looking back to what we already know about baptism, but he's looking forward to a new baptism. This is pre uh, foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. So in verse 15 of Luke chapter 3, it says, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, remember John is talking about uh, the wrath that is to come, this, this fire that we are expecting. He says, someone is mightier coming after me. He's bringing two baptisms a baptism of fire, and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these are two separate things. So uh, remember we said uh, baptism is a, a versatile word. You can use it for like flooding as well. And I think that might make more sense as we think about what John is trying to say here, that there's going to be uh, kind of uh, referencing back to like Joel 2, for example, an outpouring of judgment and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, judgment this uh, fiery expectation, this fiery judgment that they are trying to avoid by being baptized, by uh, bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. He says this Jesus, or he doesn't say Jesus, but it is Jesus, who is coming, he's going to bring that fiery judgment. But he's also bringing a different kind of baptism, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again, uh, Joel chapter 2. And so this Holy Spirit is going to be poured down on you until you're flooded in it, until you're drowning in it, until it's, it's covering you. There is a different kind of baptism that John is looking forward to, and the, one of the significant markers of the difference is going to be the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' baptism. And so John's baptism looks backwards, it looks forward, and yet... We're not baptizing anybody with John's baptism today. We're baptizing people with Jesus' baptism. So you want to know, what is Jesus' baptism? And for that, we go to Acts 2. Although Jesus has a, a full ministry, and he does actually baptize some people in the book of John. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, what, what we see uh, of this baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus brings is first shown to us in uh, Acts chapter 2. And so... Jesus, uh, he sends his apostles to Jerusalem. He says, wait here until something happens. And then suddenly on the day of Pentecost, there's a, a violent rushing wind and uh, God, tongues of fire are, are distributed on the people. The Holy Spirit fills the room. They're speaking in tongues. It's crazy. Wild things are happening. And Peter and the rest of the apostles, they stand up filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking in tongues. And just like Jesus got a very mixed reaction of people who were very intrigued and also uh, kind of uh, dismissive. So these people filled with the Holy Spirit get equally mixed reactions. Some people are intrigued. Some people are amazed that they're speaking in all these tongues. These Galilean guys can do this. And other people think they're drunk. But Peter stands up, he says, no, that's not what's happening. Remember Joel 2. 
He says, that's happening right now. In uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my word. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we get this uh, idea pulled from the prophets, the day of the Lord, which is both a day that is uh, very exciting because it is the day that God sets all things right and writes all the injustices, but it is also a very terrifying time. I mean, you're going to read in Amos. He says, why are, you, why are you hoping for the day of the Lord? It's dangerous to you because if you are an unjust person, the day of the Lord is coming for you and it's dangerous and you need to be aware of it. And so he says, the day of the Lord is coming, but those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved in this day where God is pouring out his Holy Spirit. And so now he says, look, now you see that happening. We are standing in front of you. The Holy Spirit has been distributed to us. We are speaking in tongues, but there's more going on because here it's not just the men that will see dreams and speak visions, but sons and daughters, that there's going to be a further outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this day. But he says, look, you're seeing this and now you understand that the day of the Lord is coming. It is happening and you need to call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. And the rest of this speech that, uh, that Peter gives is pointing toward these two truths. One, Jesus is Lord and you killed him. Two, Jesus is the Messiah you've been expecting and he is bringing this fire. And so obviously this results in some very scared people because they realize they messed up. And then they heard, when they heard this, verse 37, They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And we get verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it is not just for the apostles. It is for other people as well. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But they also need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And we see these are the two main things that distinguish Jesus' baptism from John's baptism. One, the presence of being, uh, of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This could not happen before Jesus' crucifixion because we'll see in a moment when we look at Romans chapter 6 that baptism in the name of Jesus Christ has to do with a kind of a co-death, burial, and resurrection with Christ that we are symbolically representing ourselves as having died to our old life and rising to walk again just as Christ was resurrected. And so there was There were elements of this that could not have happened before this moment. However, the other thing that's significant about calling on the name of Jesus Christ, or calling on the name of the Lord here in this section, and being baptized in the name of Jesus, is that that's 
one in the same. We'll see in uh, Acts 22, 16, that those are uh, equated to be the same thing, that the way you call on the name of the Lord is by being baptized in the name of the Lord. So that's distinction number one, that before that, we couldn't do that, but now we can. Number two, baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand this is a, a, a subject of debate, whether the gift of the Holy Spirit is uh, subjective or objective, whether we are, uh, you know, it's like I received the gift of a blender for Christmas or I received the gift of Aunt Cass for, you know, for Christmas. Like, sh- is, it, is the Holy Spirit giving us the gift or is the Holy Spirit the gift? I think it is the gift. We can still be friends if you disagree with me. But I think, uh, you know, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about God. We talked about this last week, God taking out our spirit and putting his spirit within us. We see we are marked with the, or sealed with the Holy Spirit in, uh, chapter, in Ephesians. And so there are these things that uh, would make me think that this is actually we are receiving the Holy Spirit. But in any case, these are the things that make Jesus' baptism special. Jesus' baptism is in, in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a calling on the name of the Lord, which couldn't happen before then. And two, it is... Uh, connected with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, this, this sermon breaks up uh, into things that I think you're going to find interesting, things that are going to round out your view of baptism, and also things that you're going to be able to discuss with people. And at this point, we end the interesting stuff and we enter into the discussion points. So here's the question, why? What is the purpose of baptism? And this is really uh, the debate. So some people uh, say that baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. That is, uh, I think, Augustine. So uh, lots of people have been saying this for a long time. Uh, this view would say that baptism is uh, it, it's, it's a symbol. It is an outward sign of something that has already happened. Uh, and that is why it's a sacrament for us. Uh, and the second view, which would be our view, uh, is that Baptism is required for salvation. It is the means by which God has said, you will be saved. And so uh, as we ask that, uh, what is the purpose of baptism? Is it a symbol or is it required for salvation? I say, why not both? So anyone who says it's not a symbol, you got to read Romans 6. So Romans 6, we'll read Romans 6, 1 through 7. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if, we had been, uh, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been f- set free from sin. He's saying, look, this baptism is a death. You are reenacting the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You are dying to your sin. You're putting that behind you. You're liberated from the the shackles of sin. And you get to rise to walk in newness of life. And it also foreshadows the resurrection. There's big things happening here. It is definitely symbolic. But that doesn't mean it's not also required for salvation. We can look at several passages. We've already looked at Acts 2.38. We can look at Acts 22.16. But I want to take us to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
1 Peter 3, verse 21, it says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, that is uh, the, the flood and uh, Noah being rec- uh, rescued through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we see, uh, previously we've seen baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Here we see baptism saves you. It's not the, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. Not the, like, the, you know, we, can, we go swimming all the time. We get dunked under the water all the time. It's not the, the water itself, but it is the appeal to God for a good conscience through uh, that, that act of baptism. That is what saves you. Now, as soon as you say that, comes this next question. Okay, what, but if you're saying that, then you're going to say baptism is a work. Uh, that uh, baptism is a thing that you have to do to be saved. And we know that we're saved by grace. We are not saved by uh, doing stuff. We're saved by a free gift of God. That would be Ephesians uh, 2 verse 8 or 9. Uh, both of them, really. And so this, is, this becomes the, the dilemma. Which, which is it? Um, and I, I just want to say here uh, that it's perfectly legitimate to look at a text and say, okay, the most obvious reading of the text is not the best reading because of what we know about other stuff in the, in the Bible. We do this all the time for texts about free will, where, we, where it looks like God is, is uh, limiting someone's free will or making them do something. We say, no, we know God gives people free choice. So whatever this text says, we understand ultimately that there's maybe something else going on here. And so if it is the case that being baptized would be a work by which we earn salvation, then people would have every right to say no, uh, whatever this text says, this can't be a part of salvation because it will be a work. But I don't think it is a work, and I don't think it needs to be a work, and I would like to prove it to you this way. So uh, Leah's sister had a birthday last week, and uh, there's this place, there's you know, lots of them all over, called Insomnia Cookies. Insomnia Cookies is amazing, uh, you know, it's, it's f- just you should, you should get them. Anyway, delicious cookies, and uh, you, they will deliver uh, late into the night. That's why uh, they're called insomnia cookies, and they're, they're delicious. But Leah's sister lives outside the delivery radius for the insomnia cookies in Richmond. And so for her birthday, we were like, we wanted to get her cookies, but she had to go get them. And so we were like, okay, here's the address. Now, let me ask you, does driving to a restaurant or driving to a store where you get cookies earn you the cookies. No. It's just what you got to do to go get the cookies. And we do this all the time. Like parents, they set stipulations for their children. They say, you know, we'll pay for your phone bill. We'll pay for, you know, the gas in your car, but you got to keep good grades in school. And that good, earning good grades doesn't get you money. It just is, is, is a different thing, but it's a part of the stipulations your parents have set. In the same way, Jesus has every right to say, in order to obtain eternal life, you have to put away your, you know, your, the filth in your life, you got to change things. Or in order to receive salvation, you have to be baptized. Now, doing those things are not things that we do to earn salvation, but they are stipulations which God has given us to uh, receive the gift. So to me, I think it's, it's pretty clear that baptism doesn't have to be a work. It can just be a thing that God says, this is what you got to do. And that, to me, is what the text seemed to be saying. And that is, I think, the best way to reconcile these ideas, that it is still a free gift. It is something that God gives us, but it is a free gift that has stipulations, that we have to do something in order to obtain it, not something that earns it, but something that is part of the process. But 
that leads into a very related question, and that is, okay, but does the Bible actually say that baptism is necessary for salvation? So uh, it's a re- related questions, as I said. So typically, this question sprouts out of the first uh, controversy of does the, uh, if the Bible teaches, or the Bible teaches that salvation is a free gift. So if it says that, then it can't also say baptism is required for salvation. And so there are a lot of alternate readings, which I will uh, attempt to go through quickly, of uh, what these different texts are saying so that they make them not say baptism is required for salvation. And, uh, but is that the best way to read it? So we'll go to Acts 2.38. That's the big one. Acts 2.38, which we've already read before, but we will read it again. Acts 2.38. So Acts 2.38 says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this reads to me, Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the, whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That you are, The purpose of your baptism is in order to obtain the forgiveness of sins. Now, people say, okay, but this, uh, this preposition... It, Ace. Uh, it's, it's versatile, okay? You know, there are, is a passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, where John, we've kind of, we read the Luke parallel, where John says, look, I'm baptizing you for repentance, but someone's coming after me to baptize you for another reason. And so in this text, we see that you're not baptized in order to obtain repentance because you're already doing that. It is, in fact, an outward sign. And so technically speaking, you, it could say that. But here's the question. Is, does that make sense with what Peter is trying to say? Uh, I would liken it to if someone says, how do you have a baby? And you say, well, you have a baby shower. Like, that's not a good answer. And the thing is that Peter has just presented them with a situation, and they say, okay, we're in trouble. How do we, what do we do? How do we get rid of this sin in our life? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, if this is as a representation of the forgiveness of your sins, then their question still goes unanswered. How do I get forgiveness of my sins? I don't want to have the public declaration. I don't want people to, you know, I don't want this to be a celebration. I want to know how do I solve the problem? And so to me, this answers their question. You are baptized in order to obtain the forgiveness of sins. That to me seems the clearest reading that makes the most sense of this text. Similarly, we've already read uh, 1 Peter 3, that uh, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And of course, uh, you can perform some wild acrobatics with the text in order to make it not say what it clearly says. And again, perfectly valid if there's a contradiction. But if there's not a contradiction, then why would we want to make it more complicated than it needs to be? Read the text. That's what it says. Uh, there are other passages that I'll turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for example, where Paul says, I did not come to baptize you, or I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. And they'll say, well, if baptism is what saves you, then Paul is effectively saying, I'm glad I didn't save you, which is not what Paul is saying in this text. He's talking about status markers, that they're saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, part, I'm a Paul guy. Oh, I'm a Peter guy. The same way that we might uh, look for status things, like if you were baptized by like D. Bowman or like Chris Emerson, like, you know, all these big names, like that could be a status marker. He's saying, no, I, I'm not about that. Okay, this is about God. It's not about me, Paul. And so I'm glad I didn't baptize you so that none of you guys could pull rank on any of your other people because who baptized you doesn't matter. About baptism for forgiveness of sins for Jesus. And so those are uh, just like a very quick uh, covering of, of some of those. And of course, if you want to talk more about them, we can. But 
I just want to say, uh, as I'm concluding this point, I've got one more question to answer. Our goal, as we're talking to people out in the world, it's not to have some like mic drop moment on them. It's not to just best them in every sort of argument. But if we believe in truth and we believe this is what the scriptures say, then I feel like we should have the ability to competently uh, defend what we believe the truth to be. And so I'm not trying to help us you know, get, get the best of everybody, but I, I do want us to be able to defend the truth. I do want us to be able to preach and uh, to teach the truth to people. And I believe uh, that it is clear that the Bible teaches that baptism is essential for salvation, is a part of the process that leads to salvation. It is the moment at which we receive the Holy Spirit. It is the moment at which we receive forgiveness of sins. Otherwise, why do we have the Philippian jailer or uh, the Ethiopian eunuch who, instead of getting baptized like we see, you know, in a really public place with all everybody around, they get baptized, you know, in the middle of the night or in the middle of the desert. Uh, these are not things that you would do if this was a, a declaration, but it is something you would do if baptism was essential, if you needed it right now. Uh, there are many other texts I could go to, uh, points that, that kind of fill out this idea, but I think this, that the Bible clearly teaches baptism to be necessary for salvation. So that leads to the last question, which we will cover quickly. Who should get baptized? Anybody who has not previously been baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Anybody who is old enough to understand that they have sin. Old enough to understand the, the uh, intense nature of the coming you know, fiery baptism. That they do not want to be, uh, you know, they don't want to be cut off. People who recognize the truth of what Jesus teaches, that we need to take up our cross and follow him, that we have no other choice, that we are doomed without him, that we need him. If you're old enough to recognize that and you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then you should do something about that. And so, uh, again, I find myself ending on something of an invitation. If you are here this morning and you have not done that, please do not leave here this morning without having talked to somebody or made uh, made the choice yourself to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. It is vitally important. And for those of us who have, let us go forth this week remembering the commitment that we made, as uh, we saw in Romans 6, to die to our old man, to put him to death, to live with Christ, committed to following him. That is what we chose to do. That is what the world should see in our life as baptized believers. Thank you so much for your time. We'll now be dismissed to class.